I don't know if you've heard of Jay Spates or not, probably not, but he lives in Maryland and he decided to um, submit to one of those DNA tests that people do nowadays. And when he got his report back, it said, you are of royal descent. He's 66 years old, living in a tiny apartment in Maryland, doesn't even have a car. And so he wasn't sure what to make of it, so he contacted someone to do some more research for him. And it's, it's a long and winding story, but come to find out, somewhere in his lineage, he's an African-American pastor, his great, great, I'm not sure how many greats, grandfather, was the king of the Alada province in Benin. And he is actually a prince. And so they contacted the current king in that province, and he and his wife did a little investigation as well, and come to find out, Jay Spates is actually a prince, and they were able to isolate the king from whom he is descended. And so they invited him to come back to Benin. And so he went to visit, and he received a royal welcome, and um, he was welcomed as a prince. They even sent him to what they called prince school because he knew nothing about being of royal descent. But they took him to a special ceremony because when his great, 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 whatever grandfather was captured and brought to the U.S. as a slave in 1765, he was the king of that province. When he was captured, what those Benin Africans had decided to do, they had heard what happened to people who were captured as slaves. So right before they got on the slave ship, they had a tree at the edge of the port and they call it the tree of forgetting. And so these Africans would go and walk around that tree nine times in a ceremony to shed their identity and forget who they were so they would go and live as slaves. And so they brought Jay to a special ceremony and they asked him to walk around the tree of forgetting nine times in reverse. It's now called the tree of remembering. And he has claimed now his title as the prince of Aladah in Benin. It's interesting when you find out who you really are, isn't it? Your identity makes a big difference in how you view the world, how you view yourself. And so this morning, as we continue our journey in Romans 8, I wonder if you really know who you are. And I would share with you this morning that you and I together, we are God's children. And so let's look at this text today, Romans 8. We are in verse 14 now. We've made our way through the first 13 verses of Romans 8. And we've learned already a couple of lessons. Last week we talked about life in the spirit. Paul continues the conversation about life in the spirit in verse 14. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. So this morning, I want to just point out from this text who we are. 
First thing I notice is we are spirit led. Look at verse 14. Those who are led by, those who are guided by, those who are directed by the spirit. Well, that's who we are. We're guided by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, the Spirit of God guided them. There was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire at night. And the, the Spirit of God guided the people of God. In the New Testament, Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Here's the challenge that we face today. Not everybody wants to be Spirit-led. Many people who are living outside of the Christian family and some who live inside the Christian family are guided by other forces. Often we're guided by our minds only. We're guided by our instincts or we're guided by our desires or we're led by our cravings or we're led by our heart. Well, here's what we have to be careful of. God gave us our minds. What a gift. But your mind can be tricky. And if your mind is dark enough, your mind can convince you of just about anything. Your mind can convince you that bombing the World Trade Center is a good thing. Your, your mind can convince you that invading another country that doesn't belong to you is a good thing. It's interesting how your mind can work on a smaller scale. Your mind can convince you of all kinds of things in your everyday life. But you know what? As Christians, we're actually led by the Spirit of God. If, if you want to, just flip over a couple pages in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2. And listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth about being led by the Spirit. Here, here's a sermon from Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and <clears throat> that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. And what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. That's people who are just led only by their minds, by their desires, by their cravings, they don't understand the things of the Spirit. But us, verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, so who are we? Well, we're Spirit-led people. That means that we, we listen to the wisdom of God, the Spirit of God at work in us. You know why? Well, because we're God's children. This text also says we are slaves no more. Verse 15. Now, slavery was something Paul was very familiar with. But Paul sees it as connected to sinfulness because Paul has already said in his writings that whoever sins is a slave to sin. 
And so instead of living in fear, the children of God are not bound to the power and the grip of sin. We can live in freedom, not in fear. We're slaves no more. You know why? Because we are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. So this morning, I, I hope that you've realized that. That's who you are. You are of royal descent if someone did a spiritual DNA test on you. You are a child of God. You're a part of God's family. Verse 14, verse 15, verse 16 in Romans 8. Paul even uses imagery out of the Greek and Roman world. He says, you've been adopted. Now, now the Jews didn't adopt. They didn't even have a word for that, really. So Paul is borrowing something that he saw in the Greek world, in the Roman world, where, where grown people would choose to adopt a child as if that child were their own child. Well, we understand that in our culture. We understand that in our own family. Adoption is a beautiful thing. Where you make that decision to bring this child or children into your family, and now that child, those children, they belong to you, and you're responsible for them. And Paul says it's such a special thing that we have a relationship with our father that is very childlike. He uses an Aramaic word, Abba. Aramaic Abba was a word that little babies would say. You know how when you're teaching babies to, to say mommy or, or dada or, or poppy, which is the best word, I think, for them. But, but anyway, regardless, you're trying to teach them. Well, it may not be the word they use the rest of their lives, but it's that first word of endearment. That's what Abba was. In other words, what Paul is saying is we're so intimate with God, he lets us address him like a child would. You know, that's how close this is. We've been adopted by him. We're part of his family. And as members of his family, we're responsible for one another. It's a beautiful thing. You know, this morning, I just want to remind you, we're part of God's family. And that connects us to all of God's children. And so, you know that one of the things that we've done here at our church is we have collected an offering to help out our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Thank you. Do you know the money that you've given, we've already sent it. And Elijah Brown, he's the general secretary of the Baptist World Alliance. Elijah lives here in Virginia. But this week he's in Romania. And he is there on our behalf. And he has already taken our money that you've given and put it in place. And uh, today he's in Moldova. But he's been in Romania all week. And he sent a personal message to First Baptist Arlington as a part of God's family. So let's hear from Elijah this morning from Romania. <clears throat> First Baptist Arlington, thank you. You are a blessing. I'm here in Romania this week. Earlier, we had a number of meetings with key government officials, including with the prime minister of the country, the chair of the foreign Relations Committee of the Senate with other cabinet officials and parliamentarians. But what has been more amazing has been meeting with the Baptist pastors and church leaders who are doing an incredible job serving refugees. We visited a Baptist church where in the last three weeks, they've served over 1,000 people, ensuring that every one of those 1,000 people had a place to stay, stay in their sanctuary, providing food and basic medical care, providing a daily chapel, and mobilizing their deacon 
body so that every refugee who's come through that church has had an opportunity to share their story and to receive prayer and basic spiritual counseling. And that Baptist church has ensured that every one of those thousand individuals who've come through their doors have received a long-term solution that will give them hope for a better tomorrow. We've heard how literally the very first volunteer on the Romanian-Ukrainian border, the very first person who went up to the border on the very first day of the war and was there to welcome refugees as they crossed that border, was the very first one was literally a Baptist pastor. Praise the Lord. And what are we saying about what's ongoing inside of Ukraine? Where, where do we begin do we begin with the seven Baptist seminaries in Ukraine, all of which have been totally disrupted? And we're beginning to hear reports now that perhaps some of those seminaries have now been occupied by military forces invading Ukraine. Do we begin with Anatoly? Anatoly from Irpin, a bedroom community just outside of Kiev. When this war began, he drove his wife to a place of safety and then he returned to a place of danger because he wanted to serve those who were fleeing from the war. About three Sundays ago, on a Sunday morning, he looked out and he saw a mom with her two children trying to cross a bridge that had been damaged. She needed to cross that bridge and run across about 200 yards of open space in order to reach a school bus that was driving women and children away to safety. And Anatoly ran out to help that mom and her two children get off that damaged bridge. But as they ran across that open space, they were targeted. And today Anatoly is in the presence of the Lord. Do we begin in Mariupol? a city which has been so much in the news, a city which is experiencing something like a medieval siege, except with modern-day bombs and missiles and armaments destroying every building across that city. One of the Baptist pastors there, a Baptist pastor by the name of Michael, was sharing how the city has been utterly destroyed. But in the last communication from that church, they shared that 250 refugees were finding shelter inside the sanctuary, all of whom had had their homes destroyed. And Pastor Michael and another church leader named Andrew, knowing that they needed to provide food for these 250 individuals about 10 days ago, got into Pastor Michael's car and they began to scour the city looking for groceries when they were, when they were kidnapped. They were taken captive by the Russian military, and the last known information that we have is that Pastor Michael was shipped into Russia and is being held there against his will. Would you pray for Pastor Michael and Andrew's release? Perhaps we should begin in Kiev. Just earlier today, uh, just earlier today, a text a couple of hours ago, one of our Baptist Union leadership reached out to me to let me know that He's found a way. He's found a way and they've established this network and he's gone back inside into Kiev to work a network of Baptist pastors, all of whom have intentionally chosen to stay inside Kiev 
to use their network to provide food across the city and spiritual encouragement to those who are suffering. And First Baptist Arlington, this is part of what you are helping support. You're right in the middle of all of this and you're helping send food into Kiev through the union, through this network of Baptist pastors. And one of the feedings that was led by this network, they asked that after passing out about 300 food packets, they asked if anybody there would like to know the reason why they had stayed and the reason why they were providing this food. And on that day, a hundred people gave their life to Jesus Christ. First Baptist Arlington, God bless you. Your generosity is saving lives and it's touching people for all of eternity. I'm so grateful for the gospel generosity that you're living out. Would you continue to pray for everyone who's so deeply engaged in this work? Would you pray for myself this Sunday today? I'm in Moldova, again, visiting with government leaders and meeting with Baptist pastors and churches that are serving, and I'm taking them the message of your prayers and your, your encouragement to them. And next week, I'll be in Poland doing the same. And there's so many. Let me end with this story. About three Sundays ago, we texted a church in Kharkiv, a church which at the time was really under intense bombing out in eastern Ukraine, and we asked how service had gone on that day. And the, the leader of the, the women, like the Women's Missionary Union, the leader inside that church, she texted back and she said, today we gathered in worship, and while we were singing songs, we could hear bombs falling in the distance. And as we heard those bombs singing, uh, falling, we were singing the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Count Your Many Blessings While the Bombs Were Falling. And today, First Baptist Arlington, you've counted your many blessings. And today, you're counted as a blessing. So may God bring peace and may God continue to use you First Baptist Arlington right there where you are in Arlington and across the Metroplex and right here in Eastern Europe. God bless you. Wow, what a message. And the reason we're in all that y'all Right now, where is First Baptist Arlington? Where are you, First Baptist Arlington? Well, you know what? You're right here in this room on this campus. You're all over the city of Arlington today, 350 Mission Arlington congregations. You're connected to the work of Texas Baptist. You're in Slovenia. You're in Spain. You're in West Africa. And you're in Kiev. You're feeding refugees and supporting a network of Baptist pastors. And just last week, a hundred people found Jesus because of your gift. Can, can we just say praise God for that? And thank you for your generosity. And we praise the Lord for it. Um, you know, well, why are we doing it? Because we're the children of God. The children of God, we just live differently. We're, we're of royal descent. We care about the things that God cares about. And so God is always near the brokenhearted, isn't he? And so God's people, God's children, we respond to people's needs 
That's how it works. We're a family. We've been adopted into the family of God. That's exactly what Paul says. Let me point out a couple other things in this text this morning before we leave this section, just these three or four verses. We are secure in Jesus. I want you to notice what this says in verse 17. Now, since we're children, we're heirs. We're heirs with Christ. And so our security is not in ourselves. The security that we have is because we belong to the family of Jesus. And he's guaranteed our security. He's guaranteed our inheritance. Our inheritance as the children of God is kept for us by the power of God as we put our faith in him. And guess what that means? That means we're set for eternity. And so, you know, when you and I make this decision to follow Jesus and we're born into this family, we get this precious gift and we're set for eternity. Our security in Jesus now is we're co-heirs with Christ. That means that, that you don't have to worry about your salvation. You know, when people, people like to poke fun at Baptists and say, well, y'all believe in once saved, always saved. Yeah, we do. And you know why we do? We didn't come up with it. We believe it because it's what the Bible teaches. I mean, Jesus is the one who saved us. Jesus is the one whose blood is enough for our sin. Jesus is the one who has rescued us and redeemed us. And he's the one that's made our eternity secure. I can promise you a lot of things are going to happen in eternity, but forgetting you is not one of them. Jesus doesn't forget. We are the family of God. But one other quick word, sharing in his glory. You know, Paul mentions that at the end of this text. We're gonna talk about that later um, next Sunday morning. But he says, we share in his glory. Now that sounds really good until you actually study how Jesus was glorified. <laughs> he was glorified even in his crucifixion. He was glorified in his sufferings. And so Paul says we actually share in the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes that's what we're called upon to do. And as we do that, we do that with an understanding that God's glory can be on display in us. Once again, the, the children of God, we don't live like other people live. And so even when we're suffering, the glory of God can be on display in us because of what God is accomplishing in us. So this message from Paul this morning is know who you are. You're the children of God. Live like it. Live like you're of royal descent. Live like you actually belong to the Father. You've been adopted. You've been blessed. You've been gifted. You've been brought into this family. And it's a precious gift and it's a gift of God's grace. And it is a sign evidence of his redeeming work. I hope that you know who you are. You know, A.W. Tozer is famous for telling several stories. He's a great preacher. One of the stories he used to tell when he was in Toronto, Canada as a pastor, he said there was a Philharmonic Orchestra visiting in town and one of the violinists was attacked and he was mugged in one of the city parks. Took him to the hospital and he had temporary amnesia. And one of the nurses there contacted Dr. Tozer to come and visit because he did regular visits at the hospital. So he went and visited with this young man and the man didn't know who he was, didn't know where he's from, he had no identification on him. And um, so they tried to visit with him, try to figure out who he was. And um, they, they just got nowhere. Finally, the police um, um, contacted the hospital and asked if they'd had anybody checked in because the Philharmonic Orchestra had been meeting and they were missing one of their members, one of their violinists. And so sure enough, they came to the hospital and that's who this guy was. 
And Tozer says, before the whole thing was over, finally the young man, the amnesia began to diminish and he began to realize who he was. And on the very last night of one of their performances, he was able to take his seat back in the orchestra and perform. Tozer said this. He said, I live in a world where everybody's received a bump on the head and they're wandering out everywhere and they don't know who they are. He said, then when you meet Jesus, all of a sudden you can take your place in the orchestra and live your life the way God's designed you to live. Once you discover who you are, then you can live differently. Well, let me remind you this morning, if you don't already know it, you are God's children. Praise his name. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Father, today we, we come before you with grateful hearts. My goodness, you've been so good to us. Thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to adopt us into your family. And Lord, as we become a part of your family, it comes with great joy and great responsibility. We're accountable for each other. We care for each other. And so as we gather here in this room and gather online, we remember our brothers and sisters around the world today who are in harm's way, suffering in untold ways. Right now for us, it's very fresh on our minds, these Ukrainian refugees. We thank you for the faithfulness of your people who are right there in the mix of it who are ministering and loving and blessing and preaching and teaching and sharing food and housing. And we pray for your protection for them. We thank you for their courage. We're inspired by it. And I thank you, Lord, that our church can have just a, just a small part in it. And that today, right now, there are people who are safe, who are being sheltered, who are being fed, and who are finding Jesus because of the generosity of our church. Thank you for that, Lord but we pray for a resolution and hope and peace today. But we pray that also for our own community. It may look really different, sure, but there is heartache and brokenness and there are people all around us who are living as if they don't belong to you. And there are those, as A.W. Tozer said, who's, they're wandering around with a bump on their head, having no idea who they belong to or who they really are. We pray during this Easter season there will be men and women and boys and girls in this community who will come to know who they really are, that they're your child, and that when they receive that precious gift of adoption, that they'll begin to live as your children. Help us, Lord, to live that example out in front of them so that they might be drawn to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.